I'm Peter Medlin, and you're listening to Teacher's Lounge. If this is your first time hearing the show, it's a really simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped shape who we are, and we want to hear about the educators who've inspired you and the educators in your community who deserve a spotlight. Every teacher we have on this show is nominated by the folks who listen. So be a part of the show and tell us about a person who comes to your mind when we say that. And email us with your nominations at teacherslounge at niu.edu. This month, we're also doing a little bit of fundraising for the show. So if you do like what you hear and you want to make sure we can keep bringing you these conversations and stories from all across education, you can please donate whatever you can over at WNIJ.org. Today on the show, it is our third annual Top Issues of the Year episode with Guilford High School English teacher Eric Serwin. We'll look back at our conversation from last year and see how the topics we talked about were borne out in his classroom and in education at large. And then we'll discuss what we believe are some of the most important issues in education right now and for this year. Are we going to touch on every single important issue? Of course not, but I think you'll find our conversation gives you some great insight on what these important hot-button issues and headlines actually look like in real classrooms with real teachers and students. It's a substantial chat, and so without any further ado, the top education issues of 2022 with the wonderful English teacher and chess coach, Eric Serwin. All right, well, Eric, believe it or not, this is... This is already our third annual episode of this kind. This is the third time. Our first one, again, January 2020, where we failed to predict the biggest, you know, societal cataclysm in 100 years. That one's on us. We'll take the L for that. Right. So it's going to, again, it's going to be really hard for us to have worse predictions than we did that first time around. Absolutely. <laughs> I think I'm swearing off predictions, though. I always think about those like sports shows where at the beginning of the football season or something, they give their like bold predictions for the year. And then they never actually check in on whether or not they were right at the end of the year. And you're like, oh, the Bears are going to win the Super Bowl. Mitch Trubisky is going to throw 40 touchdowns. And none of that actually happens. And there's there, so at least in this episode, we won't just give our like predictions and most important topics of the year, but also look back and, and see if the ones from last year Right. actually held up and see how it went down for you actually in the classroom. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's hard to think that it was only three years ago. I still remember sitting in the classroom doing that. <laughs> I th- we are definitely going to be talking about the pandemic. How could we not? Again, it might not be on the list per se, but just know that until the World Health Organization or whoever <laughs> declares that there's no longer a pandemic, that COVID-19 is the top education issue of every single year until we get that point. Again, I, I made the joke that it is the evil eye of Sauron that hovers over every single conversation around education. So just know that it's on the list and we'll talk about it when we talk about every single topic. Right. Yeah, it is It is the the octopus with tentacles everywhere. <laughs> Oh, just the worst octopus, too. Terrible. Yes. So like I, like I said, I wanted to start off this episode by not only discussing what we think are the most important issues for the coming year, but also look back on what we said were going to be really important ones from last year. And I sat down a couple of days ago and I re-listened to that episode to see what we were talking about. And I wanted to share a few things that you said, a few quotes that you had okay. about how you were feeling and see how you're feeling now. Because at that point... You said that in January 2021 that it still felt like you were stuck in one extremely long school year from the beginning of the pandemic. 
that it just never ended. Does it feel like we've at least moved on from there or are you still stuck in this pandemic education purgatory? Hmm. <laughs> I would say, you know what, this year does feel like a new school year. Um, I've got a new crop of students that I actually get to know, you know, from the, from the nose up. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it definitely feels like we're in the, in the flow of a school year. It does feel distinct from last year. Last year feels like a, like just a really horrible dream already. Like, I don't think of it too much until they whisper about going remote and then I get, you know, I wake up and with then the night sweats. Down yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, I'm glad that it's at least dis- it's distinct and you can say, okay, this is a completely different thing. We're no longer in the beginning stages of the pandemic where no one knew what was going on. Right. Yeah. And it, it credit to the students, you know, they've embraced it. Um, they're just doing school. Thank God. Riding the ups and downs. There's just a lot more of them. I hope not too many of these quotes sound really dire, but it's kind of just where we were at at that point. So the second thing that I want is is that you were talking about the art of teaching and you said the art of teaching is just not there for me. Is that back too? Do we feel like that or are we still not a hundred percent back? Man, that was a dark time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, I, you know, I think back to last winter and it was, you know, it was bad and, and got worse this year. Yeah. The art of teaching. I'm actually glad to hear that. Man, it makes me feel better. Yeah, this year, the art of teaching is back. That's a great headline. The art of teaching is back. All right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, why not? Uh, that should be the title. Um, yeah. You know, because I'm trying new things. I'm adapting to what the students needs. It's forcing me to try new methods, but my students are doing it. Um, learning is happening. Like, you know, we're at the end of the semester in Rockford. We're a little later than most people. But the, um, you know, I, I, looking back at all the students' work over the semester, like there's definite growth, like tremendous growth. Um, and there's, you know, they're succeeding and they're learning. I'm excited to see what's going to happen on the AP exam. Last year, that just felt like some distant, you know, period at the end of a sentence I could never see. Yeah. Last year, you were worried about like, dis- is discussion going to happen again? Are we going to be able to do that? And it feels somewhat normal in the classroom. And it seems like from everything you've said that You've at least had that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, after um, my student teacher left and I stepped back into the classroom, the kids were discussing literature in a way that, you know, a year ago I was really afraid was not going to happen. Um, like, had that gone by the wayside. But, you know, the, the techniques and the curriculum and everything worked, and, you know, we, we've got the kids engaged. Well, it's interesting. You, I mean, you talked a little bit about how you've had to like adapt and, and figure your footing out in this new environment. Because again, one of the things that we talked about last year that you talked about was, okay, so we're in this really, really tough spot with the pandemic, but I at least hope that it forces us to innovate and do things a little bit differently that maybe make education just a little bit better. Like what's a silver lining that we can come up with that maybe makes the whole process a little bit better? Um, Anything like that happen? Yes. <laughs> um, some huge, <laughs> huge successes, actually. So I, I do an assignment with my, um, with my students where I have them conference with me for 10 minutes at the end of each grading period uh, to just kind of tell me about the work that they've done and, um, you know, how they've grown. So they have to, like, kind of reflect on their own growth, grade themselves, and then kind of report that out in a conference. I've always done it in person. Last year, I didn't do it at all. This year we did it first quarter and then second quarter in January here, it's been really crazy. And um, I just said, you know what? I don't have the energy for this. How about we try this as a video? 
And so I had them record a video. They all knew how to do it. And if they didn't, they figured it out quickly. And they weren't too shy about it. Like I'm grading them and they are phenomenal. So that's something that I never, ever would have tried two years ago. Wouldn't have even crossed my mind, but because I know the students are familiar with it, it's a tool that I can use. And I'm getting feedback from some students saying like, you know what, this was way better than doing the in-person one first quarter because, you know, I could really gather my thoughts and be prepared and just kind of present, you know, and then other kids are like, I hated this and we want to go back to in-person. So like, hey, I'm going to make this an option now. And now I know I can give that to students with an expectation. So like just yeah. a huge bonus, a huge plus. It's going to change my classroom practice forever. And that's just like one tiny little part of it. Right. Well, and that's kind of a perfect segue for one of the topics that we touched on in last year's episode, looking ahead of 2021, which was talking about the balance of technology in the classroom, how you balance these things out as it feels like we're moving so quickly towards more and more technology, but there's still so much research that shows that paper and pencil and the more old fashioned way of education is really beneficial and really does engage the brain in different ways. Right. So we talked, I think that you talked a little bit about having your students make videos and, and trying to figure out ways to use technology that aren't just using technology because it's there, but doing it in a way that feels more purposeful to the context of your classroom. Right. Um, and so starting this year, I kind of swore off screens and I was like, nope, I'm going to do everything on paper. And the kids did not rebel. I think a lot of them were relieved. And um, so they've done that. And then coming into the winter, as there's been more waves of students leaving, I've had to kind of lean on some of those resources as alternatives, which has been kind of a godsend because it's like, I already have that. I can just kind of pull from that or create something new based on what I know from last year, like what I can actually realistically expect. So it's been an easier transition to like kind of work them in. And then, yeah, just by necessity, I'm, I'm kind of pushing them back in and the kids are okay with it. And it's just so it's kind of just more, more tools in the tool belt. Right. Yeah. And that's always, you know, I always try and offer options to students because the, the more they can kind of decide how to reveal their skill growth and their development, the more I can do that, the better. And so it's really neat to see that happening <laughs> um, yeah. both by necessity and then also by innovation. And, and what the kids are doing is pretty amazing. Some of them have really invested. The one girl did it like a whole sh uh, like TV show. <laughs> Some of them are really getting creative where they're embracing this media as like another form of expression. And they're not just relying on the verbalness of it, but the, uh, the visuals and the, and the whole animation, the fact that it is a video instead of a yeah. written report. It's been really interesting to see the different ways that they can, that they're doing it naturally. And then the ways that I can nudge them to do that more. You know, like, hey, well, I think how can you use the video? Why is a video a better format for this delivery? Just asking yeah, them the question, and let them go. That actually goes hand in hand with another topic that we touched on last year, which you wanted to talk about authentic tasks and project-based learning. And this was, I think, one of the examples you gave was like, okay, this is giving students uh, real life examples. This is, you know, write your congressman instead of just writing an essay about chapter 12 Huckleberry Finn or whatever you're supposed to be doing in a, you know, old fashioned way of teaching. But yeah, it's, I think the same thing where if you're going to be working in digital advertising or something like that, you're going to have to learn how to make videos and how to write for that. And that's something that's a little bit more tangible and feels like you know, something that they would really want to learn how to do. Right. Yeah. That, <laughs> that particular part of it, um, 
has met with uh, some resistance. Um, How so? Well, I mean, for my AP literature, I'm, it's kind of stuck. It is what it is. It's got to be literature. Um, my English 12 students, we tried a little bit more like authentic task kind of stuff. Um, and it, it just butted up against the reality of this year where the students are just not super motivated. Like in some ways it was, it was a little bit too heavy of a lift. <laughs> yeah. Um, the example, my student teacher wanted to do this unit on, um, reading children's books to a video and we, you know, practice using your voice, uh, for expression and, um, that, uh, it went over well with the students that were engaged, but the ones that weren't, right. it was like another task. And because it was a video, it was like an extra pull to get them to do it. So the good, the, the good aspect of it was really good. And, and the, the, the bad aspect was much more of a difficulty to overcome. Right. So in a better year, in a better time, maybe that we can a hundred percent dive a little bit deeper into that. But sometimes it's just, yeah, yeah. it depends on, on the day. Yeah. The lifting got heavy and then, oh gosh. Yeah. I have a lot of plans for the spring, but you know, as the, as the Omicron wave is peaking then <laughs> yet another way, um, there's a lot of like just negative news coming in a lot of uh, traumas around the students. Um, just mm -hmm. friends and family are, you know, ill are passing away in numbers that I don't remember seeing last year at all. So it's, yeah, it's gotten personal for a lot more people than I think it did in, since the pandemic started. Right. And so yeah. I think, you know, for, for some period of time, I think um, kind of doing stuff like low key, <laughs> low impact, we're going to take it easy and just try new things in the classroom. Not a lot mm -hmm. of like homework and extra effort is just kind of where it's going to be for a while. And hopefully, you know, by the end of the year, we can give them something like really tangible to sink their teeth into to kind of end the year. But right now, there's just a lot of things that are happening, you know, like, yeah, it's <laughs> low impact. We're going to read some books and talk, and that's about it for now. Right. Well, that, that was actually another topic from last year was talking about social emotional learning and support services, services and, and de students dealing with this kind of trauma. I mean, again, it's I think that we said or you said last year that it's also kind of moved from sending kids to support services to support services becoming completely integrated into part of your job inside of the classroom. And so, yeah, can you talk a little bit? I think, yeah, you, you uh, one quote was, uh, teaching about the whole person is not really how we are trained. So there was a bit of a <laughs> learning curve there. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, and this, oh gosh, I don't even know if it's just me, um, but it's become a natural thing. It, it feels like uh, battle buddies. It feels like we've all been in a foxhole for two years together. <laughs> and so, oh, geez. Um, you know, like, oh gosh, the, the first couple of weeks back from winter break, I had just some horrible news coming across, um, <laughs> coming across my life. And there were moments where I just stopped class. You know, I'd, I have these four like color cups. A lot of teachers will know this, you know, where you have kids drop a stick in red or green or blue, depending on, you know, how they're feeling that day. And when I take my stick out of green and stick it in blue or red, you know, the one day and the kids were like, what's up? And so I just kind of told them a little bit about my day, shared with where I was at. We spent 15 minutes kind of just connecting as human beings. And then, you know, there was like a natural pause in the conversation. I was like, okay, you guys get you ready to talk about some poetry now. And yeah, clear, clear the air a little bit. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, and so that's happening in classrooms all over my building um, on a regular basis. And there's been, you know, there's been some 
really horrible news up in Rockford. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't even want to get into the details. It's just there's a lot uh, that they're dealing with in the community. And, um, you know, I, I was just talking to Mr. Pittner, you know, Jeff Pittner. I was going to bring him up, actually. And, and this is kind of a great segue into one of the things we'll talk about for this year. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so he's he's very well, you know, organized and he's done a lot of learning on restorative practices. And he was just telling me today about how he did, uh, you know, restorative circles in his class um, after an incident that happened at Auburn across town a couple of weeks back. And, um, you know, and it's just, it's great to know that they're, that my colleagues are doing it, that it's a natural part that the kids feel pretty comfortable once you open the door. Cause some teachers don't, but like, once I kind of yeah. signal like, Hey, I'm, I'm here to, you know, we can do this. We can do life before we do school. Once you kind of send that signal, like they'll step through pretty willingly. Now it's, it's really neat. Right. Especially if you're part of the process, right? Like if you're willing to be vulnerable, I feel like that's, they're 10 times more likely to do it. If it was just, they have to come in and, you know, drop a stick into one of these and talk about it amongst themselves while you act as like some kind of moderator. Right. That would be a lot weirder. Right. Yeah. It's, it's about making community, you know, like really it's, we're, yeah. we're there to learn together and it's, um, I'm, I'm much more conscious of it these days. And I'm glad that I had that, you know, that training before COVID hit, you know, cause it, when I say training, you know, a couple hours in a, in a workshop isn't even close, but it was an introduction. So I can pull from those resources that were handed off to me. Yeah. And it's trying to be proactive, I think in a way that really people only talked about, especially with younger kids years ago, where in an elementary school, maybe people would think, okay, yeah, at the beginning of the day, everyone talks through how they're feeling before we get started. We're like, no, people of every age need to get get through that and talk about that before they, before you can start talking about poetry. Right. Because if not, then like, there's no point. Right. And I tell you what, it, huh, the students that are struggling academically and grade-wise, it doesn't feel like a fight you know, where yeah. 10 years ago, it, it always felt like a struggle with them. Now it's, it's like just admission, like, here's what I need you to do. What can I do to help? And they'll either take it or say no, but there's no animosity, you know, right. Or less of yeah. it, you know? Yeah. And yeah, and you hope that people, that there are a lot of teachers that, that feel comfortable doing all this stuff and are trained in it. Cause I, th I think you see, like, like you mentioned, like there's, a lot of students in your school and in schools across Rockford in the area that like have been through a lot in the last even couple weeks, seen, you know, violence in their communities. And it's, it, you hope that schools are able to have adequate supports after something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And it, and it really just happens at the classroom level. Um, Cause support beyond that is, it's really just hard to organize, you know, where, what resources do we bring in and where do we put them? It's, it's hard to tell. Right. Especially now. Right. Especially yeah. literally. Where do you put them? Right. Yeah. Well, and the last thing from last year was about this idea of, of learning loss and this idea of, of students falling behind and parents yelling about how, you know, students and my, my kid's not going to be able to get to where he needs to be if they're not physically in the building. And you kind of talked about how there's always a wide range of skill levels in the classroom. That's just kind of your job to adapt to that and make sure that you can get them to the places that they need to be at. Right. And I'm curious if you feel the same way now or if you've somewhat changed your mind about I'll, it or thought about it in a different way. I can. Yes. I like that. I'll revise <laughs> my understanding. <laughs> make, make an addendum. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I wouldn't say that there's like learning loss. Um, what I'm noticing personally in my classroom, and I'm hearing from a lot of teachers, is that like the spectrum has been pulled in both directions. Like there's no middle middle class. It's just people are doing really, really well or really, really poorly. Yes. Yeah, just a lot of, um, it's almost like the students, because, you know, learning remotely last year, you know, it's like college, like you're, you go to class to get information, but then the learning and work part is on you. And so we had a, you know, a group of students for whom that was possible and they were able to do mm-hmm. it and they kind of developed these habits that really they wouldn't have developed until, you know, freshman year of college. Um, and then there were other students that, you know, couldn't or, you know, just didn't make it over that hump that f- literally just fell behind, but not necessarily in their skills, but in, um, like academic skills, but in their like soft skills, just the ability mm-hmm. to show up to class, to do homework without reminders to, you know, th- it's like they've dropped off those skills, you know, and, and two very different kind of groups of people and it just spread us. And so now, you know, where usually I'll have three or four students failing, I'll, I have 15 now where I have, you know, a handful of students that are like really stellar A students, I've got, you know, 10 to 15% are like really top notch. Um, and then the middle is kind of thinning out. Yeah. yeah. And I, th- I think there was some preliminary data that the state shared a couple months ago, comparing last year's test results and last year's academic data to 2019 to just before the pandemic. And I, let's see, the number of students meeting grade level standards dropped 18% in math and 16.6% in English language arts with the biggest decline seen among English language learners and low income students. And I think that's something that everyone probably saw coming to some degree and and speaks to what you're talking about, where there's just people that are dropping off, you know, that middle class is, is getting thinner and thinner and there's a lot more students struggling a lot rather than just kind of getting by. Yes. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. It's just, yeah, that what they need is something uh, more than, you know, any one teacher can give them, you know, they, they just need someone to coach them on like how to show up <laughs> and for, and, and to be perfectly fair, a lot of them are dropping off on those skills because of, you know, those intense traumas <laughs> that have yeah. swirled around them. Um, so it's absolutely, it's not a benign drop off. Yeah. And I think talking about trauma and students is is kind of the perfect way to start our discussion about the issues that we wanted to talk about, the top issues for 2022, because the first one that I had written down, and of course, like we mentioned at the top, COVID-19 is going to factor into literally everything that we're talking about, no matter what the topic is. Right. But the first one that we wanted to bring up was about student behavior and, and discipline, and it's both problems with student behavior and also problems with how schools choose to handle discipline. I think it's really both sides there. And you have teachers and parents that talk about how behavior and these things have been an issue since before COVID. I just heard, I just heard a teacher in a board meeting down in DeKalb talking about how it's just running a laundry list of the things that she sees on a daily basis where it's like students screaming, they're taking off their clothes, they're hitting each other, they're throwing chairs, they're destroying personal materials from teachers. And it's, and she said, she said, I'm losing hours of the day just trying to deal with this that I can't actually be teaching. And obviously again, really bad stuff that some people are saying is 
happening before the pandemic, but I would have to imagine has gotten substantially worse during the pandemic because, like you said, a lot of those soft skills they haven't had to exercise during remote learning, or whatever. And they, they maybe have receded right. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a lot of them are kind of in survival mode. Um, exactly. You know, literally and figuratively. Um, where, you know, some of them are working a tremendous amount uh, just to put help put food on the table for the family. Some mm -hmm. of them are, you know, just what they're dealing with. And I. <laughs> Right. As this I is say why, this, this is kind of, I can right, hear in the back of yeah. my head my former self, right? The teacher I was 10 years ago, where in the, <laughs> I used to be the guy sitting in the back of the room. Yeah, but that doesn't account for all of them. And yeah. what I've come around to as a teacher, and especially now that like, I'm really paying attention, like each and every one of those kids has a story. Um, I think actually yeah. a couple of months ago, I told you about one girl just losing her mind in the hallway. And it was because her bus route was um, cut. She had, she had a ride to school and no ride home, and she had no way mm -hmm. to get home. So that the student discipline behavior, it's, it's more, it's the same thing as the academics, right? It's the, the bottom is getting bigger. And so like, and the problems that are there are going to be bigger. Right. And this is where we want to mention, because this isn't about blaming students for right. bad behavior, right? Like, this is why we want to bring on the other side of the coin too, where you mentioned Jeff Pittner. Yes, And it, it made me think of conversation that we had about, you know, like you said, restorative practices, restorative justice, how he tries to solve problems, talk about issues that are really hard to talk about, and, and even setting expectations in his classroom when it comes to behavior, right? Where I think that he talked about how at the beginning of the year, it's, it sounds a little hokey, but he's like, I want you to t write down who, what kind of person are you when you're able to be at your best, and to have students almost like keep each other accountable for that and be like, hey, if there's something going on, I'm going to tell you, you're stopping me from being the best person I can. You're stopping me from reaching my full potential almost and, and, and doing it in ways that are a little more whole child, right? That are, right. are recognizing the kind of trauma that students might have seen and, and all this stuff I, I think is, is really, really interesting. Yeah, because it's, I mean... Ugh. Yeah, the problem with seeing it though is is like it's a it's a fire hose of of news, you know, like you know, this kid is misbehaving today, you pull him out in the hall and say, Hey dude, what's going on? Why are you losing it? And it's like, oh well, you know, just find out, you know, XYZ, <laughs> you know, insert any trauma you can think of, you know, parent dying, um, friend getting assaulted, beat up, shot, anything. Um, and there's always something there. Uh and and when I approach it that way. Like it really helps the kid feel welcome and come in, you know, but like, man, at the end of the day, I'm depleted and there's days I don't have it to give. And I, you know, it's like, uh, sometimes I just want to like right, and turn the, turn the screen off. Like, Hey kids, like, just don't share your, your bad news with me today. Someone tell me something. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and even if you have, you know, even if you've taken training about social emotional learning, that doesn't mean that you're a professional counselor or therapists and right you're soaking in all this information and also like you still need to worry about you know teaching poetry right. at the end of the day too hey by the way let's you know let's analyze literature and express it you know fluently and eloquently in an essay <laughs> it seems comical when i think about it but at the same time like ah it's the kids that dive into it find you know they can escape they can escape in the learning um and dive into you know the, the the literature 
thank god i teach literature instead of <laughs> like history like jeff oh man i don't know how he does it um but you know it's like it provides them an escape you know because when you feel good when you learn new stuff you know and so if we can engage that with them um i think that's the best medicine that i know how to offer right that's my expertise right and it's a lot it's a lot of responsibility that is on teachers now like you said once you notice this you can't not notice it anymore like a magic eye poster exactly yeah, yeah. like once you in, in start engaging with students on this like it completely changes the way that you teach and it's also like literally just a lot more on your plate literally and emotionally and that's i'm sure it's very hard oh yeah <laughs> and it's not a natural you know <laughs> you should talk to my wife one of these days uh <laughs> It is <laughs> yeah, not we'll have a, a natural part wife of, of teacher's lounge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she could tell you stories. Holy cow. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not something that came naturally to me. Um, you know, but I'm, I, I'm a lifelong learner, right? That's, that's what I've always invested myself in being. Um, so this is yeah. where the world is pushing me and it's, it's not a bad improvement. You know, it's a good change. Right. And the last thing I wanted to mention with, with discipline was literally, I think you're seeing some schools start to reconsider not just how they deal with these things in, in the classroom in the way that we mentioned with Jeff for restorative practices in circles, but literally thinking about how we discipline students when it comes to in-school suspensions or things like that. And I've there's been over the last couple of months a few Rockford students that have, that have talked at school board meetings too about how you know, maybe there's a different set of rules and sets of discipline for students of color than there are for other people. And I know that there are, you know, at some point pretty soon, actually, I think the, the district is like going to be reviewing the discipline code. And I think that you're going to see that at a lot of different places of, of how we can change literal discipline to make it more equitable. Yeah, it's, um, it's nice to see people taking a look at the way that we do discipline, you know, it, it's never made sense to me why we would suspend a student who's been absent too much. Um, right. Take them out of the classroom as punishment for being out of the classroom. Right. And, you know, asking teachers to do it isn't going to work. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, like the in-school suspension, you know, used to be like, here's your work, sit in a carol, do it. Um, and then, you know, Mr. Martinetti at Guilford just does a fantastic job, like doing some of that social emotional learning and stuff, getting them back on track. And then like, here, here's your work, do it. And we're here to support you so that you can re-enter and be successful. So the more we can do that kind of stuff, there's, there's only upside to it. It's just going to take, Absolutely. it's going to take resources <laughs> to Time tell resources. your politicians, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Get into those, uh, authentic tasks, write your congressman. <laughs> right. Hey, hey, there we go. There's a project for uh, third quarter. <laughs> yeah, there's a project-based learning for the audience. <laughs> and then uh, the next one is, I think this topic is a topic that we could have had on the list in 2020, 21, and unfortunately, probably this year, next year, and the next year, which is uh, the teacher shortage. Yes. And again, I think the way that I framed this before we started, Eric, was that this is the year that the teacher shortage really got personal for a lot of people because I think that it was a concept that students and, and families in certain areas knew about before and experienced and, and dealt with the ramifications of before. But now everyone is dealing with school bus driver shortages. Everyone is dealing with substitute teacher shortages and having to find anyone to cover. You know, everyone is dealing with their teacher having to quarantine and uh, you know, groups of several students having to and classes having to meet in the auditorium or the cafeteria while 
adults pace their room and try to take attendance and stuff. Everyone's dealing with this now. Right. Yeah, the reality is is here. Um, yeah, uh, I think you had mentioned like yeah, it's come to the doorstep. Literally, you know, the bus is not <laughs> coming to the doorstep. But like at Guilford, you know, we're having trouble filling positions. Uh, we're having teachers leave in the middle of the school year. We lost um, a really fantastic math teacher at December. She just said, I can't, it's too much. I can't do it. And I have other options. So I'm going to take them. And it was like, it. absolutely, you know, more power to you. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, a lot more teachers are making that calculation. And it's, it feels like we're in the, in some sort of, you know, really bad cycle where the more teachers leave, the worse the job is going to get um, in order to try and cover those gaps. And um, you know, we'll see what happens. And and then the other thing that's going to happen is, you know, what's happening in the labor market is at large is just teachers are going to have options now. So if you're in a district that you're not really happy with, moving isn't so difficult anymore. Right. So, yeah, like you said, it's it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. And the more teachers leave, the harder it gets. And I think that in the last episode, we quoted that statistic from, I think, like November 2020 about 30% of teachers wanting to thinking about leaving the profession. And I remember you said, well, 30% are actively putting out applications. The number of people that are just considering it in the back of their mind is probably a lot higher than 30. Right. Yeah. Well, the one that left in December, it was a decision that she made over the course of like two weeks. She went from gung ho, yep. I'm going to do it this year to, you know, you don't know where your breaking point is until all of a sudden you're there and you look around and you say, I don't really have to do this. Um, and a lot of teachers are making that calculation and it's uh, the, you know, the reality is it's, it's like you said, every step. So, uh, you know, bus drivers, my daughter, um, rides a bus to the other side of town and, you know, once or twice a month, my wife has to, you know, change her schedule to go drive, you know, either drive her there or pick her up. And that's not even, you know, Rockford is fairly okay. You know, what I'm hearing from friends and colleagues, you know, further downstate and even across the country is, you know, 10 times worse what we're experiencing here. Right. And it's people that are finding out at six in the morning that they don't have a ride to school and people don't, not only do they not have a ride, but you're with the bus, but also their family's not in a position where they can take them to school. So then what do you do? And they're finding right. out of all this last minute. Yeah. And that's happening where I'll have students, you know, just marked absent and it'll, you know, that little code is no transportation, you know, um, where, you know, that used to be a rarity, you know, some kid's car would break down or something. Um, now it's pretty consistent because like yeah, bus route was canceled and, you know, these handful of kids don't have a way to get there. So they're just not in school today. Yeah. And with teacher shortage, they just, it's a really long acronym, Eric. It's, I think the Illinois Association of Regional Superintendents of Schools, yes. <laughs> just the longest name of all time. They release a teacher, uh, a teacher shortage report every year. They just released one like last week. And per that report, over 2,000 educator openings in Illinois were either unfilled or filled by someone who was unqualified for the position. And over 90% of districts say they expect the problem to continue and get worse over the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I know it's going to get bad. <laughs> um because yeah how are you i mean not to bring out the different colored cups not to bring out the different colored emotional cups eric but you talk about reaching your breaking point how are you doing are you are you doing okay are you considering leaving is it something that's crossed your mind are you filling out applications where are you at um (laughs) 
I actually feel a little uncomfortable answering, honestly. Um, <laughs> That's fair. But no, I, um, I've, I've looked. I've applied to other jobs. Um, the one was right up my alley. Um, but, you know, nothing. <sighs> the hard part is that the reasons that tie me to the classroom, the things that I love about the classroom, I really, really love. And so <laughs> I'm, you know, any attempt to get out of the classroom is always only half-hearted. Um, but I have a dream schedule. Uh, I, you know, I have seniors. I love teaching them. I have AP literature. I have like my dream position. Um, and if I was not in that position, I probably would have left. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a part of it that you think about the students that you've went through this entire experience, right? Where you talk about how you kind of feel bonded that you've been through this entire experience. I'm sure you feel that way, not only with students, but I'm sure you feel that way with a lot of your colleagues who are like, oh my God, we've been through this whole thing together and people probably feel bad about leaving. Yes. Oh, tremendous amount of guilt. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The teacher that left in December, um, she and I didn't talk too much. And then, um, you know, she asked me as, as a union rep to kind of help her uh, guide her through the process to make sure that everything was proper. And just in those conversations, it was just really clear that like the thing, the reason she tried to come back this fall was because she felt bad saying no because she didn't know what would happen to the kids and then she said that was how i knew i needed to go because i stopped right. caring. think about how many teachers are in that position that not not just that but just how many people are, are coming back because they're afraid of, of you know what's going to happen with the students if i leave right and that i mean and that's something that we deal with every day is like i can't take on every kid's trauma i can't resolve everything when that hits a certain amount where it's, you know, it's like, well, I can't take care of anything. And now I don't, you know, like there, there's a point where like, if you don't care, you can't really do this job effectively and there's right. nothing to sustain it. So, yeah. And, you know, last year I went through that point a couple of times in the winter <laughs> and, um, you know, the thought was always like, well, I'll make it through this year. And then, uh, you know, I, I luckily had a, a very restorative summer that got me kind of back to, okay. There you go. Yeah. Vacations in Kauai, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I drove across the country. I spent three days in the Did car. Oh yeah. I drove, um, I worked a By yourself? Uh, chest. Yes. Worked a chess tournament in Las Vegas. And so I drove from Rockford to Vegas, took me three days, saw the mountains for the first time up close, you know, <laughs> driving through, over and through the mountains. But that, you know, who knew the, he the healing properties of the open road that, that helped out. Oh yeah. Yep. And I'm going to go back this summer. Um, probably not all the way to Vegas. I think I'm going to stop in Colorado and stay there for a while. It's going to be beautiful. In my mind, you're like on a motorcycle. That's. You know, have you ever read Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? <laughs> I haven't actually. Oh, that could be. That'll be my assignment. Put it on for, the list. Yeah. For the next episode. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Just a couple more, and then we'll get you out of here. You mentioned being a union rep, and I wanted to talk a little bit about organized labor because not just in education, but just in pretty much every sector. 2021 was, was a year of organized labor. I think you saw it in like, you know, with uh, Amazon warehouses and, and Kellogg's warehouses, things like that. But also like you're seeing teachers across the country, including and especially in cities like, you know, Chicago near us that are demanding better with, you know, COVID safety stuff with, you know, money, class sizes, behavior, all these things that we're talking about. And I, th I think that it's only going to be something that becomes more and more in the news over the next year. I think you said that it's, it's about that time where these conversations and these contracts are coming up. Oh, yeah. Um, so Rockford, we settled a contract 
over the summer. And part of the internal debates, like, you know, don't want to leak too much, but like part of the internal debates in the union was, um, is inflation going to affect, you know, the, the, the dollars that we're looking at, you know, we're looking at this and trying to figure out like, is this a good deal or not? And <laughs> I, I was on the side of like, you know, I was trusting um, the Fed when they said like, oh, it's going to be temporary, no big deal. And now inflation is here to stay. And like our raises are pretty much poof. And there's members yeah. that were not upset about, you know, not too happy about that, but no, I can imagine <laughs> to, you know, there are other districts that are going through negotiations right now. Yeah, um, I know there's several, there's, uh, several that I know of that are not only working without a contract, but have been working without a contract since like July. Right. And so, and the teachers, like they know their bargaining position at this point. <laughs> we have the strength in numbers. If there's a shortage, if you want bodies to fill the classroom that are qualified and you want to deliver a quality education for the community, um, they're going to have to make it a little bit more attractive than it is. <laughs> Currently, yeah. um, you can hear all sorts of sound bites of, of administrators and folks being like, you know, we've got, we can't fill these positions. We've got people that are unqualified and that, you know, we're failing our students by not putting people in place that are qualified. That's quite a bargaining position of, you know, do you want to be failing your students or not? <laughs> right, right. And, and yeah. I hope, <laughs> I hope the community understands the, the pressure that we're under and steps up to the plate. Um, I think if they listen to this episode, they'll probably know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science and I don't know of any teachers unions that are like super greedy. Um, right. It's not rocket science, even though you are a rocketeer. Right. <laughs> hey, rocket science ain't that hard. Like, yeah. <laughs> make it, you know, point the pointy part up. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's, it's going to be interesting to see um, how that happens because it's not just about dollars and cents, you know, it's, it's about no. uh, teacher autonomy, being able to uh, have some control over the curriculum, over how we teach the methods we use, you know, and, and getting the support class sizes support. Yeah. Right. Like I would take an administrator who, you know, researches new methods for me to try out over, you know, any other administrator, <laughs> you know, because if, if they come and say like, Hey, here's a weakness in, in your methods. Let me bring some stuff to you. Let me try that out. And let's, let's, let's experiment. And you know, if I have an administrator that treats treat me like that, I'll take a pay cut. Um, really? Yeah. It's, it's hard to find. I, I think the admin team at Guilford is very good, very positive, mm -hmm. but they're too overburdened to do that kind of work, you know? Yeah. So if districts were to put in place enough personnel to cover the administrative tasks so that our, teacher administrators could administer pedagogy and like be education leaders instead of just building liaisons. <laughs> um, right. You know, that would be worth its weight in gold. Right. Actually like thought leaders for the building. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, manage just, and that wouldn't necessarily involve more money that just involves rearranging your organizational structure so that um, you devote resources right. where they priorities. really are needed. Right. Prioritization. For sure. Sounded really good. I sound like, <laughs> It's not like I'm practicing. <laughs> Write this down right. and run for something. <laughs> Last one that we wanted to mention, which is media literacy. Yes. And I'm not breaking any news by saying that disinformation is everywhere. We all know this already. I just talked to a class about uh, how do you teach about January 6th, like a year afterwards, right? And that was a big part of the conversation is having to address misinformation with students, address conspiracy theories with them. And they're like, well, yeah, we touch on it with like January 6th, but like it's 10 times more when it comes to 
pandemic misinformation. Right. And and so I, I've, I've chatted with a lot of teachers about this over the last year. Illinois actually just became the first state to require high schools to offer media literacy classes. And uh, yeah, I mean, teachers talk about how it's, even though they're offering that as one class, that it's really something that needs to be integrated in every subject. Like, obviously, science needs uh, media right. literacy, right. <laughs> as you'd guess. And, uh, and yeah, I learned about really, <laughs> history, yeah. Learned about really cool techniques, like uh, lateral reading, where students are, you start with one source, and then you check out, okay, well, are they, who are they quoting? Who are, and then you're basically just analyzing a lot of different sources by leaving the original post that you're leaving and going to check in and fact check in real time as you're reading one article. Right. Some really cool strategies for students. And so, yeah, I, I, again, don't think I'm breaking any news by saying that this is going to be more and more crucial to the future. No, and it's, it's good. I think the kids are, you know, interested. Um, it's something that they're aware of. It's in their, it's in their face all the time. You know, <laughs> like you can't, you can't Literally, scroll on Facebook yeah, without a banner saying, you know, here's, you know, beware of COVID misinformation. Right, or even Instagram, TikTok, wherever the kids are at. Yeah, misinformation is there. <laughs> is Instagram old yet? I, I, I'm, I've adopted Instagram, so now I, it must be. Right? <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, like TikTok has been on NPR, so it's not cool, right? So it's fine. <laughs> That's a death knell. Um, it, it truly is, yeah. No, it's um, it's interesting to see uh, different methods and techniques for doing that. Um, I'm looking forward to doing more of it. It's it's something I kind of used to do in conjunction with like 1984. I would do a propaganda unit. Um, and just, it's always fun and interesting. Um, I always like to kind of go at it backwards where I would teach them the techniques and then we'd, we'd have them create their own versions of misinformation, you know, uh, marketing campaigns, we would, you know, we'd do some soft stuff and then we'd see it like, okay, now, now turn it up a notch instead of trying to get someone to buy, you know, Coke, can you get them to, you know, I don't know, spy on their brothers like 1984. Um, and it was, it's, it's interesting to see them play with that. Um, and then like, okay, now, now that you know how to, how it's done, let's take a look at, let's just turn it on the TV and see what happens. Um, see what people are talking about. Let's, let's find the, the first article that pops up on Google when you type in January 6th, you know, and really just teaching them the skills to like think critically about it. It lends itself to English. I, that's what I do, right? I teach kids to read and think critically about what information yeah. they're taking in. And it's at least nice that Illinois is, is being somewhat proactive about it because you have to evolve your teaching about this. Like we can't just be doing the, uh, you know, probably don't use just Wikipedia, which is like, right. was when I was in high school when you were talking about fact-checking sources. But, uh, you know, the misinformation evolves, the platforms evolve, so the way that we teach about it has to evolve. Right. It's fun. You know, it's it's teaching them to follow a trail, to, you know, ask questions and hunt down truth. Yeah, you're a detective. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not something I shy away from, uh, and I'm really yeah. excited about what we can accomplish. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, you know, the sooner the better. <laughs> right. Well, that was pretty much all we wanted to cover. Obviously, again, the biggest and most important issue in education now and for the last two years and on into the foreseeable future is COVID-19. It's the pandemic. I know we could talk about this in, in any facet of any of these topics, Eric, but just before we leave, is there anything about just teaching during the pandemic that you wish more people talked about when they talked about it. Is there anything just about teaching right now during a pandemic that you wish more people knew about? That's really hard to say because, you know, everyone's dealing with so many different things. Um, right. The 
biggest thing is the reality of it in the classroom, right? When, uh, when we're told that, you know, like they're not going to contact trace in classrooms anymore because, you know, too many of the kids are not getting sick with COVID, like that butts up against the reality. I got that email the same day that, you know, a student lost his mother, you know, the night before um, who'd been sick with COVID that his little brother thinks brought it home to his mom, you know? Like there's that reality that butts up against, you know, the policy decisions based on the numbers is one thing. I wish people could see what that looks like in practice. You know, I would love to see my school board members like show up and talk to my students and, and be there when the kid wants to step in the hallway to cry. You know, like there's a, there's a burden on everybody in the school that, you know, we talk about, but the reality of it doesn't, you can't really express it until you'd see the weight of the world on a 17 year old shoulders and you can't do anything yeah. about it. That's the tragedy from the teacher perspective is like, I'm surrounded by all this stuff and all I want to do is like help the kids, but I can't lift my own burden, <laughs> uh, let alone, you know, like I, I do what I can, but there's, you know, it's, I feel helpless. And I think everyone in the school system kind of feels that way at the moment. So we're, you know, we're, we're trying, we're throwing, we're learning, we're, you know, going through the motions. Um, and we're kind of there with each other, but it's yeah, uh, being in a foxhole is the closest thing I can describe, having never been in a foxhole. So, <laughs> right, you know. right. Like you said, it's conversations about this stuff really easily become about policy and about procedures. And at the end of the day, I know people say they know this and inherently do know this, but it's about people and kids and sometimes even if you know like you said if if it's something that you already know you can't really understand it until you're looking at it in the face and i hope that people in charge are right yeah the more they can get out and be among us (laughs) (laughs) like i don't i don't need my commander in the tent back at headquarters like i need I need my commander putting his arm on my shoulder saying, you got this. We can do this together. You know, I'm right. going to drive a and bus feels... today. And to, to my downtown administrator's credit, I'd be remiss. One last thing. <laughs> um, I, was, I was caught up. I had not heard of any of our downtown administrators like taking on sub jobs, driving buses or anything. And the moment I posted it, I had example after example after example. So it's really nice to see that our leaders are doing that work and they are getting out there. Yeah. There's just not enough of them. <laughs> We just, it's like, we just don't, we just need more people. Yeah. And it's so unfortunate that the only metaphors that we can draw on are war. Right. Yeah. War and conflict is, is all we have. Well, Eric, I hate to, but it's, even though it's the reality of the situation, I hate to end it on that, but do we want to, to end off? Do you have anything else either that, or we can end on chess if we want to really uplift ourselves. Ah, yeah, there we go. Chess, (laughs) the sectionals are this Saturday. Um, so by the time this comes out, it'll be passed. Uh, the state tournament is coming up. I'm super excited about that. The, uh, the chess tournaments this year have been just an absolute joy, uh, just to see kids like playing and enjoying and being intellectual. And I, I can't wait. I'm, I'm all abuzz. It's been two years. It's too long. <laughs> yes. So I love it. Yeah. And, and really in, in the schools, like even amidst all the chaos, like there are real connections happening. There are, there are real skill development going on and it's, it is an absolute pleasure to be teaching again. Something I, I was afraid I was not going to be able to get back. 
I think that's the perfect way to end it. I think that's that's perfect. And Eric will be. It's it's hard to consider what the world is going to look like in two weeks, let alone a full year. Right. But uh, it's going to be fascinating to see when we have this conversation at, at this point in 2023. God help us. Right. I hope that I hope that uh, COVID is, is somehow less of a, a looming specter. I again, I went back and I listened to the last last year's episode, and we were so full of optimism about the vaccine oh, yeah. and about there, there, there was such like a, uh, it felt like a, a weight was going to be lifted off our shoulders. And while it's uh, super, you know, life-saving and is incredible, didn't quite end the pandemic in no. the way that maybe we hoped for. Yeah. It shifted the weight from both shoulders to just one. Yeah. Yeah. To just, right. So hopefully it's uh, the pandemic is slightly less terrifying of a looming presence when we come back here at this point next year yeah i absolutely hope so thanks for listening to teachers lounge as always feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show send them our way to teachers lounge at niu.edu wherever you're here in the podcast subscribe leave us a rating share whatever you can do it really does help And please subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date on everything having to do with the show. You can find all the details and a link to do that on this episode's webpage at WNIJ.org. A big hearty thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the music you hear every episode of this podcast. Thanks to Spencer Tritt as well for our Teacher's Lounge logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.